Welcome to Dyslexics Wanted, a podcast celebrating the unique strengths and creativity so often the hallmark of people with dyslexia. We invite you to learn more at the Web Innovation Center for Dyslexia's website, wicd.org. And there you'll find out the latest information about a film we're producing called Decoders, a cutting-edge documentary that objectively and fearlessly explores fundamental questions about how we learn. To support the making of this film, find out more at wicd.org. And now, Dyslexics Wanted. We are talking with people making a difference, change makers, if you will, in the field of education and support. Joining me is one such change maker. He is the Reverend John Finley, co-founder and head of the Epiphany School, a tuition-free independent middle school for economically disadvantaged children and kids who have been abused and neglected. He's helped launch 19 other schools like it across the country, inspired by Epiphany's example, and has been involved in other initiatives in education, including the Nativity Preparatory School in Boston, the Nativity Schools Educational Network, Codman Academy Public Charter School, Esperanza Academy in Lawrence, Massachusetts, Urban Achievers, Bridge Boston Public Charter School, and Boston Scholars, to name but a few. Now, along with all of these accomplishments, what you may not know about Reverend John Findlay is the fact that he himself has dealt with dyslexia, and he has a pretty compelling story. So before we talk about the school and some of the work you're doing for other kids, John, can you reflect on your own background and your own life growing up with dyslexia and how you coped? Yes, absolutely. So I grew up in uh, Brookline, Massachusetts, at Chestnut Hill, and I was uh, not diagnosed with dyslexia until about third grade. And I had uh, applied to a, a Dexter school, and I took a test. And it was the first time I took a test that really was just read and fill in the dots. And as I remember it, uh, the comment came back to my parents that a, a monkey guessing could have done as well on the test as I did. Um, and it became apparent that I really hadn't learned to read and that I had been getting through by kind of bluffing my way through my, my work in school, but I really wasn't a functioning reader. And uh, my initial response was it, was it was very hard. I was not um, – I, I was – really upset at the thought that I had that something was wrong with me, that I wasn't able to do what I was supposed to be able to do and what other kids could do. Um, but I was lucky in that I was able to, I had some wonderful teachers uh, in a program called the LAD program, and it was a, sort of small classes uh, with really great teachers who more than anything got over my reluctance to read um, because it wasn't something I could do and that was hard for me. Um, I and there was a lot of negative feeling about reading, and I was very lucky in that they they found books that I loved and cultivated my interests and sort of built off my strengths. And uh, I was very proud that in my my first year, I think I I struggled to get any of my summer reading done. The next summer, I read uh, ten books off the reading list when only five were required. And the summer after that, I read fifty books off the reading list. And to this day, I, I love to read, and it's uh, it's a real joy. There are moments when uh, when dyslexia comes back into my life. Um, if I'm tired or um, uh, and been working too hard, I will sometimes uh, type words backwards and really struggle to get myself to to not do that, and uh, that's very frustrating. Um, but I've learned in general to be patient with myself when that happens, and and I can get through it. Um, so, yeah, so that's maybe a little bit about mm -hmm. what dyslexia has been like in my life. Um, and uh, 
it's allowed me to be a certain level of compassion for people who, you know, like me, have um, some learning challenges, right, and for whom school isn't always mm-hmm. easy. What, what about writing? I, I'm just curious about how that was affecting you prior to getting the help and post. Uh, is writing a component here? Yeah, so my, well, my penmanship has is, is never been very good. Uh, so uh, that has been a bit of a struggle for me. And typing, um, I will occasionally type a word uh, backwards and uh, I will, or, or slightly inverted. And it can be maddening because I will try, I will delete it recognize it's wrong, delete it, and then type it wrong again. <laughs> and the frustration of, of realizing you're doing something wrong and then not being able to get your mind to tell your fingers to do it correctly um, can, can be very, very frustrating. Um, but you just take a deep breath, slow yourself down a little bit, and, and you can make the correction and, and go on. So that's where I see it in writing, but it doesn't happen very often with me. So because you're an educator and because the Epiphany School is your crowning moment here in the New England area, you've got work around the country with other educational institutions of a similar nature. You must put a lot of credit into the uh, into the education that you got and the help that you got after that third grade experience in terms of dealing with dyslexia on a life level. I mean, I imagine it's you went on to college or uh, well-educated fellow with degrees and all that, and now you're uh, running a school. Talk a little bit about the importance of that early education intervention. So I think there are a couple of pieces. Um, one is that, uh, you know, I think that had I not had the early intervention uh, in school, I'm not really sure where I would have would have ended up in life uh, without the ability to read and being able to get the intervention at an age when that was still possible. Um, that was, I, I, I don't know what, what would have happened with me otherwise. I've certainly seen students, uh, young people uh, in my work who have gotten to uh, the end of elementary school and are still not functioning readers. And it becomes a, a, a bit too late, and, and there are a whole set of other problems that develop from that. So what begins as a frustration around reading then develops into truancy, then become, begins into social problems that and social-emotional problems that can really derail a person's whole life trajectory. So early intervention around learning disabilities, dyslexia, and other things is really important in terms of setting the course that a a young person's life is going to follow. Another thing that helped me with learning disabilities was learning to be able to ask for help. Um, And a lot of my work as a school leader has been being comfortable with asking people to help out, uh, help build a new school, help uh, teachers come on board. And um, I, for better or for worse, uh, learned at an early age that I had some things that I wasn't good at, and I needed to be able to ask other people for help with that. And that skill, um, being able to ask for help, has actually paid off really well for me um, and uh, has, I think, made me more effective as a school leader in that I'm I'm not afraid to invite people in to, to join in the work that we're doing. Mm-hmm. And is that a message that you bring regularly to the kids at the Epiphany School? Um, so the, the message I bring to the kids at Epiphany School um, is, is, is uh, I remind them that I, I have struggled uh, with school, and frankly, you know, some of my academic challenges were worse than their own that they're facing. And, um, uh, you know, sometimes that, that they'll laugh about it and so forth, but I've, I've had more than one student who... Um, We'll, we'll, who I'll get together with probably every couple of months and 
they'll, they'll want to check in, have lunch together, and talk about how they're doing with their own learning challenges. I have a particular boy who just finished the fifth grade who um, had been diagnosed with dyslexia who was very discouraged, um, and he's not discouraged anymore. He's feeling really positive about his abilities. I don't think that it was something that happened for me alone. Um, I think it was primarily his teachers and his mother um, turning school around for him and turning school into a place that he mm. felt positive about. Mm. But it was a real joy, Jordan, to, to to see that kid between the kid I had lunch with in September who was so shut down and just so negative about school to being a happy kid. And, you know, you only get one childhood, and it's important it's a good one. Well, it's so wonderful, Reverend John, for you to share your personal story with us about dyslexia and how you have overcome those challenges. And now let's talk about how you're helping the kids at the Epiphany School. I know you love your work. You have great enthusiasm, something that you look forward to every day. Yes, it is a, it is a thrill. Every, every day, every kid has to, um, when they come into school, they, they look me in the eye and they shake their hand, my hand. And I'm, every day I'm inspired by how hard they work um, and how they're really changing the course of their lives, uh, you know, through their education here. It's, it's, a, it's a real privilege to be here. Well, this is your 20th year as an Epiphany School in Boston, 20 years. Uh, when you reflect back in 1997, when it all began, did you foresee it happening and unfolding as it has, John? You know, it's, uh, in some ways, yes. Um, I think we always had a, a lot of confidence about the, the need for our school and the thought that our school could be effective and could could really make a, a real meaningful difference. But wow, I mean, things have come so far. When we opened our school, uh, Jordan, we had no, um, no building. So we had uh, a church let us use their space uh, very generously. They charged us uh, the, uh, the very modest rent of a dollar a year. Um, but we did have to take the entire school apart every Friday and rebuild it every Monday. <laughs> and if, if you think about it, I had the faculty showing up at six in the morning and we were working until eight o'clock at night, um, and then to ask them on a Friday night after they'd done all that to come stay up, uh, stay, stay late and take the school mm. apart and do it. And we did that for years um, while we built the school up to a place where we could eventually build our own building. And now we have multiple buildings and we have helped start schools all over the country. Um, but there was, uh, it wasn't always, it wasn't always quite so good. Well, it's interesting because of the students you have, and I, I think you have approximately a hundred students on any given time. You're talking about kids who uh, otherwise would be falling through that proverbial safety net, falling through the cracks. Tell us a bit more about the mission of the school. And then I want to get into some of the work you're doing for those kids who are not only dealing with whatever socio economic issues they are, but learning issues. Talk about the mission, if you will, Reverend. So the, so the, the mission of the school uh, is to work with kids who are from economically disadvantaged backgrounds and kids who, because of abuse or neglect, um, uh, have been involved with state care in some way, or kids who have been homeless. So uh, we have a diversity of kids in our schools. For some kids, school is, is very easy. For some kids, school is very hard. Some kids have real social-emotional difficulties. Um, some have real cognitive difficulties. Some do not. Um, but on average, our incoming fifth graders are probably about two years or more behind uh, academically mm-hmm. um, and have a lot of other issues that they're dealing with. Um, but we find that our kids are full of promise and potential. So by the time they're in eighth grade, not only are they testing at or above grade level, but they're ready to go on to competitive high schools. Um, and then eventually we stay with them forever. So we have 100 kids 
school, but then mm. we have several hundred graduates who we work with as well, so making sure that they're uh, getting help with their college applications and summer jobs and all that stuff. So the mission of the school is really to break the cycle of poverty through education. Right. Well, it's one thing to have a mission. It's another thing to, to see it through and to put that mission into practice. So you do it in a in a bunch of ways that seem so obvious <laughs> on the outside. <laughs> when I say that, I mean, you know, longer school days, you're, you've got the kids for more time, and you've got the small classes and the attention that you're able to devote to kids who otherwise wouldn't get it. So I'll just have you talk about some of the things that you do that have been successful for both the learning challenged and the traditional student. Yeah. So, uh, you know, Jordan, you're absolutely right in the sense that a lot of what we do is is pretty obvious, um, but we've been lucky in being able to do it all. And so a lot of these things are being done in, in other schools, but we've been able for 20 years to, to bring it all to bear in a holistic way for the students uh, that would otherwise just not have access to something like this. So the answer is yes. So one of the key things is the longer school day. So our students start arriving as early as 6.30 in the morning, and they usually don't go home mm. until 7.15 at night when the school is, mm. is over. Um, that's got a number of reasons for it. It's uh, One is just more academic time. And the second thing is that a lot of the crime and violence that, that plagues um, the communities that our students live in happens in the early afternoon when parents may not be home from work yet and uh, there's unsupervised time there. Um, we we also have a longer school year, so our school year runs through July, and mm. we have a boarding program in the summer um, for our students as well, again, to make sure that instead of summer learning loss, which is uh, a really problematic uh, phenomenon that you see again and again, kids making a certain amount of progress by June and sliding back in September, over the summer our students make not a lot, but a, a measurable and meaningful amount of progress. So the longer school day, the longer school ye- year is key. Another thing that's really important is we do have small classes. So our average class size is about 12 kids. So uh, that allows the student, the teacher to really uh, individualize education. They can uh, uh, accommodate the kids with learning disabilities. They can uh, accommodate the kid who may be uh, ready to move on to other academic challenges, so you can work with the advanced kid as well. Um, So the smaller classes are really important to what we do. Um, And then this idea of being a holistic school. So we work not just in the classroom, but do a lot of work in the classroom. So what does that mean? So that means eyeglasses, dental care, housing, employment, Um, seeing the child as part of a family and helping that whole family move forward um, and and make progress. So not seeing the kid in isolation. and then finally, the abiding support. So we we stay with our kids forever. Um, um, a lot of our kids, uh, you know, we're not going to replace their moms and dads, but we can do a lot of things that that moms and dads might ordinarily do for students of ours who may not be living with their their moms and dads anymore. So checking in with them and making sure they have a summer job, um, filling out, helping them fill out their FAFSAs for college, which is terribly difficult. Set a pile of paperwork. Um, make uh, helping line them up. Uh, you know, if there's academic needs in in um, in high school, and then also we have about 20 graduates a day that come back to our school in the afternoons and evenings to have dinner mm-hmm. and to use the computers and maybe play a little basketball. So being there as the abiding community for our students is also really important to what we do. Let's remind people that uh, your school, the Epiphany School, is an independent, tuition-free middle school, and middle school is a key time period in anyone's life, isn't it? I mean, it's at puberty, it's it's change, it, everyone has teenage issues, so this even adds to the challenge, I would imagine, for you guys to, to bring these kids in, into some sort of educational format. 
Well, middle school is a great age to intervene. It's, uh, a friend of mine calls it the last best chance. Um, and so if you have a student who has gotten to the fifth grade and they really can't read effectively, they really don't uh, know their times tables, they, they're far behind in math, uh, that can still be meaningful, cha- meaningful change, meaningfully changed. So likewise, the issues that really derail kids in high school um, have their beginning in middle school. Um, so what starts out as truancy ends up becoming something more serious uh, later on. So by intervening at that critical time at that middle school age, when kids are starting to push away from their home life and trying to define themselves um, as young adults, um, it's this is a great age to be hands-on and really involved with the kids' lives. So it's a, it's a terrific age. It's also, you know, if you look, when we built the school, you know, you could see in Boston that test scores were okay in sort of middle, elementary school and then sort of fourth, fifth grade, things really, that was when you really saw the bottoming out of, of results. And so that was part of the reason that we, we moved into the middle school space. Um, and uh, we're expanding now to, to also move into to work with newborns, so kids zero to five mm-hmm. years old, to do the early cognitive stuff. Mm-hmm. I have to ask you the question that people wonder about, and maybe you have to deal with this on a daily basis or a monthly basis, the fact that you are a faith-based organization, but we should add, very important to add, that you accept people, admit children of diverse faiths and cultures and religions and profiles. But is that ever a hindrance in this day and age of uh, where the political and the religious meet? How do you deal with that, Reverend? Yeah, so, so you know, we're an Episcopal school, and um, uh, we're not funded by the church or, or, or run by the church, but that's that's our community, and that's what we belong to. Um, I think um, it really isn't a problem for us uh, so much. We don't, in terms of uh, pushback, I think some of the uh, parents are, it's very important to them that our school has this religious affiliation. But to, to tell you the truth, Jordan, I think that... Um, most students, all the students know that this is a faith-based school, that this is a Christian school. Um, I would bet you that um, very few of them actually know that it's an Episcopal school. Mm. Um, we don't spend a lot of time dwelling on that. But what we do spend a lot of time on is focusing on the kids' spiritual lives and uh, addressing the concerns that, that the, the existential concerns that are on their minds and what they're thinking about. What's your life about? Um, what happens when you die? Um, what are the values that I want to live my life by? And um, that's something that we really we, we do take time for in our school, and, and having an abiding sense of gratitude for for all the gifts that we've been given in, in this world. So, um, so on the one hand, we don't spend a lot of time drumming into their head um, religious doctrine, but we do spend a fair amount of time uh, allowing the kids to to pray about whatever's on their mind, um, to uh, say grace before meals and give thanks and that kind of thing. Yeah, um, yeah. So it works out pretty well for us. And we have kids from all, you know, Muslim kids and uh, Hindu kids and uh, non-religious kids. So it's a mm. it's a pretty diverse community that way. We've talked in terms of learning and education on this podcast about the challenges that the students face, uh, those with learning disabilities pr- uh, primarily, and. Yet there's also the challenge that they have to not just face but take on. And that seems to be part of the Epiphany School. It sounds, as you've laid it out so beautifully, John, that there's so much you're doing for the students, but you're asking them to do sort of a lot, too. And, and that relates to not only the, those with learning challenges, but anyone. Tell us about the challenge you have to your students. Yeah, so the, the challenge for our students is, 
is pretty robust. Um, so, uh, you know, it's a 12-hour school day, and that's, that's really, really hard. We also expect our students to think. We, we practice something called accountable talk, which is this idea that if you have an opinion or an idea to contribute, that is more than welcome, but we, but we are going to challenge you and make you uh, explain why you think what you do and, and really base it in, in information and in facts. And that's, you know, challenging. You don't, kids don't like to think. They just give me the answer, you know. Um, and uh, because we have small classes, um, we're really able to address the issues that are going on with a student, whether that's about a work ethic or honesty or their ability to persevere in the face of challenges and so forth. So um, um, the uh, typical epiphany student would tell you that uh, the school is in their business a lot, um, and, uh, and that's true. Um, we, we know our students really, really well, and we have very, very high expectations for them, whether that's simple things like tucking in your shirt and wearing the uniform and saying please and thank you, uh, or more substantive things about the kind of conduct um, that we expect for them. Right. Uh, we really expect them to be people who look out for other people and who are kind um, and generous and grateful. So it's proven by the success and track record over 20 years that uh, this method is working well. And by the way, for those who are wondering, 12-hour 12 uh, school days seem long they are, but there are three meals and a snack. <laughs> so it's, I mean, you know, it's not the uh, Oliver Twist days. Uh, you guys are, are treating these kids perhaps uh, to the kind of lifestyle that uh, they can only dream about when they, when they come to the Epiphany School. Well, they also, yeah, there's also sports in the day. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's not uh, 12 hours of being duct taped to a desk and, and slaving away <laughs> at all. And I think one of the things I've learned, Jordan, over the years is that um, it's really important that school is a fun place that kids want to be at and have a good time at. I think I, I don't think back in 1997 when we were getting going, I, I'm not sure I had as much appreciation of how if kids really enjoy school and they're happy at school and feel safe and enjoy it, the academic results are actually better. Um, and so uh, over the years, we've become a school that has really focused on making it fun for the kids. That doesn't mean easy um, at all, but it means a place that they enjoy being at, um, they feel safe at, and that they enjoy, that, that, that really meets their needs. So, um, yeah, no, it's not. You're, you're right. Your listeners should not be thinking that uh, this, is, uh, this is all of our twist. No, I just wanted to make that point very clear, that uh, you, you take very good care physically and mentally and emotionally and educationally when it comes to the kids. I also want to congratulate your organization because you received a $100,000 grant through Cummings Foundation's 100K for 100 program. This was in 2016. And the reason I bring it up is because uh, I mentioned it at the beginning and in the middle. It's a tuition-free middle school no charge, no cost. So uh, if you would, uh, John, tell us where other funding comes from and how uh, our listeners to this podcast can help. Well, the Cummings Foundation gift was terrific. And the answer is that, um, uh, you know, your listeners, if they want to go online and to our website, which is just epiphanyschool.com and make a gift, that's awesome. Um, we also love having visitors at the school. They can contact us through the website and we can arrange a visit to the school because we really like people. Um, we love, obviously, getting financial support, but we also really like people to, to know the school and to have our students our chance, give the students a chance to present themselves. Um, they're not going to, Jordan, they don't often tell me, you know, gosh, Mr. Finley, I love the 12-hour school day. Um, but they will tell you if you visit, um, mm. you know, it keeps me safe. It gives me a place to do my homework and so forth. The great thing about our tuition-free model um, as an independent school is that we really um, – it really de delivers to our kids a better school. 
that our students would normally attend are assessed by the MCAS, right? And we at Epiphany really believe in, in blowing the doors off standardized tests, and we do. The kids' test scores are terrific. But we also know that an education is about so much more than just standardized tests. Um, and because we're funded by individuals that – and because our, our funding base, we our budget's about $3.5 million a year – and that's covered by literally thousands of individual people, uh, primarily, who know the school, who visit the school. And they ask all kinds of questions. They ask not only, you know, gosh, how are your test scores, but what, what's happening with the kids in college four years later? What about your meal program? What are you doing for sports? What about art, dance, and music? And all the things that make for a really great education. And so, you know, we're accountable to human beings with, mm. with, uh, with brains who ask you know, who, who are funding the school and feel more than entitled to ask any questions. Um, and it's a little bit reminds me of how regular uh, independent schools work, right? Um, is that, you know, they want Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so to give their check to that school. Um, well, in our case, you know, it's, it's a similar thing. We, we, we need to convince people that what we're doing is needed and that we're, we're meeting it effectively, that we're, we're needed and useful. And, um, that's good for us. Indeed. Well, that's one of the reasons we wanted to invite you to the Web Innovation Center for Dyslexia podcast, because uh, you've done some work uh, and it has some interaction with those folks, and they speak very highly, not just of you, but of your staff and of the students. And it's, uh, it's great to spread the word about news that's positive. I think that inspires other people to get on their heels and do some positive things as well. So, Reverend John, thank you so much for your time today. And uh, even though it is we're taping this in the summer, uh, your work doesn't stop in the summer, does it? No, no, the kids are still in school. The kids are still in school. And, <laughs> and I just one little personal bit. You know, I can sympathize with the challenges for people for whom, you know, reading is hard and, and that can be difficult. But, um, you know, I went on to college and, and uh, life has been, I've had a terrific, terrific life. Uh, so the diagnosis mm. of a learning disability is, is, is not a measure of your self-worth. It's just a, a chance to understand uh, better how your mind works and, and what your assets are and what your strengths are and how you can, can work with those. So, so I, just, I just throw that out there. But, oh, yeah, we, we are definitely in school and hard at work. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, the motto, never giving up on a child, is absolutely being lived every day. Thank you so much for your time and for sharing oh. a bit of the story. We really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you so much. The Reverend John Finley, co-founder and head of the Epiphany School, who himself has dealt with dyslexia and has risen above it to become a great educator and a helpful friend to students at the Epiphany School. For more information on the work being done, go to epiphanyschool.com. That's epiphanyschool.com. And you're always invited to stop by the Epiphany School to see what's going on in person. Thank you for listening to Dyslexics Wanted. Feel free to contact us here at our website, wicd.org. And there you'll learn more about how you can support the documentary film Decoders, which is currently in production. We welcome guest or topic suggestions for this podcast. Dyslexics Wanted is available on all major platforms, including Apple, and is a production of the Web Innovation Center for Dyslexia. I'm Jordan Rich, wishing you a great day. <laughs>